I, um, I want to finish up this series that I've been dealing with the Wounded Healer. And this message has really been percolating in my heart along with the other messages. Um, I really want God to, to seed us with this word. I really believe that this is crucial to how we are to operate as those wounded healers, as Christians. And so can I get some people to pray for this message, to really just pray that it goes forth, pray that God just seeds our heart. Can I get a couple more, just a couple more? Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for the opportunity, Father, to, to just say what you have on your heart, Lord, to just say what you'd like to say to this church. I just... I thank you for that opportunity, Father, and I pray right now that you would just completely decrease me, that you would really make me nothing, that you may be the something that they hear. I pray that you would just use my words, use the text for your glory, because I can do, I can say things, I can be eloquent, so-called, or do all that stuff, Father, but without your spirit, it's absolutely nothing. So I know your spirit is already here from the praise and worship, Lord God, so I pray that your spirit would remain and that it would open all of our hearts and our ears to hear what you're saying to the church. Father, change me. Change us as a body. Let us hear you. Let us hear you clearly. And let us discern rightly what you're speak, speaking to us. Bless each and every one here, Lord God. I pray that as a result of this word, we will not be the same as when we walked in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. In the first sermon in this series, basically we talked about the identity of a wounded healer, what it actually means to be someone who is willing to let God use their painful circumstances or their painful hurts in order to help others. And we also dealt with the character that motivates that, a truly Christ-centered, others-oriented character that is really rooted and grounded in that firm relationship with God and that, that joy of the love of God, and it just flows out. So we've dealt with the identity, and we've also dealt with the character. So now we're going to deal with some of the particular actions, some of the practical aspects or, I'd say, areas, if you will, that that character can be expressed. And we're going to be using the same text that we used last week, which is 1 John 3, 11 through 18. We're going to have a different emphasis, but we're going to use, be using the same text. So let's start with that text. 1 John 3, starting at verse 11, and we're going to go through 18. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We must not be like Cain, who was from the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be astonished, brothers and sisters, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love one another. Whoever does not love abides in death. All who hate a brother and sister are murderers, and you know that murderers do not have eternal life abiding in them. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. Now, this is going to be the main text we're going to be dealing with today, the underlying portion. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses help? Little children, let us love not in word or speech, but in truth and action. Again, how does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses help? Little children, let us love not in word or speech, but in truth and action. 
Now, just dealing with the text, if you remember from last week, the author is talking about some of the defining characteristics over and against some false teachers, the defining characteristics of what truly makes a follower of Christ a follower of Christ. What are the distinctives by which you can really see, yes, that is a person that is really following Jesus. And one of the things he talks about is loving one another. Going by the great, going by the, the, the new commandment, loving one another as Christ loved us. That's how you can tell a true believer or not. Now, in that vein, the author clearly believes here that it's a sheer contradiction, complete contradiction for somebody to say that they love like God loves, that they actually have the love of Christ abiding in them while they can look around themselves at the people around them, the the spheres of influence they have, they can look around them and see other people in need and refuse, refuse to help, even though they have the resources to do, even though they have the power to do so. He clearly believes this. And we, I, I want to clarify something here. When, when it says the world's goods, we're not just talking about jewelry. We're not just talking about different things like that. The, actual, the translation of the actual Greek is life of the world. And what that means is things that are necessary for decent, healthy living conditions. Things that just help us make it through the day. Life of the world. The things that we just need to have a decent way of making it. Now, this is some tight stuff here. Now, for one thing, yet last week, we have, a, we have a really good, you have a huge contrast here. Last week, we're talking about being willing to die for one another. We're talking about the extreme here. I told I said it was an extreme of the wounded healer. Actually be willing to ponder death for somebody else, for a brother and sister. That's a pretty noble thought. But he jumps from that in verse, he jumps from that in verse 16 to verse 17 like the mountains, coming, jumping from the mountains to the valley saying, okay, yes, we, we, have to, we have to be willing to die for one another, but also, getting real concrete here, if you see somebody that doesn't have the daily stuff of the world, the things that they need to make it, and you don't, you refuse to do that, how can the love of God be in you? That's a really big contrast here. We're going from, to, from slightly abstract to very concrete. But there's also a continuity here. And we have to pay attention to the continuity. Just like there's a major leap there, the continuity is the same spirit that should lead you to want to die for your brother and sister in Christ. The same spirit that would want you to, out of that fullness, be willing to give up all for your brother and sister. That should be the same spirit at which you approach looking around yourself to see who has needs to wonder if you can meet that need. The same spirit is involved in both. It should lead us to do either one. Now, some of us might wonder, you know, well, why would he do that? You know, even in the writers on top, why would he say something so lofty and majestic as dying for another person? And then in the next line, talk about, you know, just giving people the daily stuff of life. Why wouldn't he just stick with the extreme example and trust the people to just really, you know, figure that out on their own, how to work that out? Even in our own time, why don't, we, we, we ask our preachers, why don't you just give us the principle and then let every, each and every one of us figure it out for ourselves? I think that there, are, there may be two reasons why the author of 1 John does this. First of all, and this is something that I recognize day by day by day in my own mind, the human mind has an incredible capacity for self-deception. We can actually make ourselves believe anything we really want to believe. In fact, we can actually make ourselves believe that thinking about something, talking about something, debating about something, praying about something is actually the same thing as doing it. 
We can really make ourselves believe it. We can actually make ourselves believe that reading books on stuff and going to seminars on stuff and all that is exactly the same as doing it. What we have, in, I believe, in our culture is something I would like to call the spectator syndrome. The spectator syndrome. If you watch some people that are really into a game, whether it's football or basketball or whatever like that, they're just getting into that game and they're all in. It's like, you stupid ref and all that stuff like that. You would think that they're winning the ring. You would think that they're right there. And some people, they get, they get so into the game, so into what they think is going on and stuff like that. After the game, they're like, ooh, I'm tired. I need a drink. It's like, dude, you've been sitting there eating chips and cussing out the ref. You didn't put in the practice. You didn't make all the shots. You didn't listen to the coach. You had nothing to do with that, but you're sitting here acting as if you did. I think that is an analogy for what happens to us a lot when it comes to different lofty goals and ideas about what we're supposed to be as Christians or what we're supposed to be as human beings. Loving self-sacrificial character is meant to be expressed, not just possessed. It's not enough to just say, well, we're working on our character and we develop the, we're developing the character of God, even though that's great. But what does it matter to think about something and pray about something if it never comes out in action? What good is it? Actually, I, I think about something, I'm going to paraphrase here, in James, James is dealing with, you know, faith versus works and all that kind of stuff like that. In James 2, 14, 17, I'm going to paraphrase this. He says, look, if you see a brother or sister naked and lacking daily food, and you go up to him and say, you know, go in peace, be warmed, be fed, be happy, walk in favor, be blessed, and you don't do anything about it, even though you can do something about it. It really isn't within your means to do it. This is what the scripture says. This is exactly what James says. He says, what is the good of that? What is the good of that? Just thinking about a person being warmed and being fed is not enough. Just thinking about a person, you wanting to birth, a person to be well, that's not enough. Just wanting peace and deliverance and healing to come to our people or our, our society, or that is not enough. And if we do not watch it, if we're not careful, if we're not reflective, we can fall into the trap of letting our minds deceive us into thinking that it is. There's actually a version of the spectator syndrome in the church. And it's an epidemic. We must not let our minds to deceive us to thinking that that's all there is. Second, this is the second reason why I think that the author really brought us down to earth with that, that next passage. We have, the, we have the capacity to identify with the loftiness of an ideal, the glory of an ideal, how it looks on paper, even when we don't contemplate what more practical applications might come out of that ideal. We'll identify so much with the ideal and just say, bless God, amen, that's great, that maybe sometimes we don't necessarily think about the practical aspects that can take. Let me give you an example. You're with your significant other or whatever like that, and you're like, you know what? I would swim the seven seas for you. I would cross any desert. I would climb any mountain. I, and, you, and they believe it. They're saying all this stuff, and they believe it. It's like I would go to the extremes for you. But ask that same person to maybe take a day off work to take you out somewhere, or maybe just to spend time with you. All of a sudden, well, you know, I got to work. I, I got you know, I, I to do something else. Or maybe it's that friend. Maybe it's that friend. You know, you almost like covenant blood brothers. You know, it's like, man, I'll be down for you. I'll do whatever for you. Let me tell you something, man. If somebody put a gun to you, man, I'd jump in front of the bullet for real. I really would. 
but ask that friend to take you to the airport five o'clock in the morning. It's like, well, man, I got to go to work and blah, 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 blah. We can identify with the loftiness of the ideal, the loftiness of those extremes. I can, I can imagine people, oh yeah, God, I will die for you. I will, I, will, I will die for my brother and stuff like that, but let that brother be in need with something that you can do. What happens? Have you ever heard the statement, I think most of y'all have already heard, have you ever heard the statement that some, peop, some people can be so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good? <laughs> that's the way some Christians, that's the way some people think about Christians. And actually, that's the way some people, that's the way some Christians think. I mean, you can get them to pray, you can get them to fast, and you can get them to do all that stuff, but to really try to think about doing something else, it's like. But here's the thing. Christianity is not about being so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. If you look at the ministry and the life of Jesus, the kingdom is about being completely heavenly minded and completely earthly good. Look at the way he teaches. Look at the way that he lives. He is the God incarnated as a human being walking around among us to demonstrate to us the perfect representation of God. How can you not get more heavenly minded with earthly good? I think of the concept um, of shalom. It's, it's a word in, in Hebrew. I would really advise you if you get a chance to do a word study on it. The thing I like about words is there's so many meanings that can pack into one word. And when you think about shalom, it's... Some of the things that it encapsulates is there's a state of good condition, a state of being and well-being in peace and good health. In my view, when I think about shalom, I really think about the kingdom. In my view, it's a term that characterizes a state where love, justice, and peace prevail, where all kinds of lack are worked against and and diminished. This is a state where we can truly say that God being done on earth as it is in heaven, the state of Shalom. And this is what I believe Christianity is about. It's about bringing sight to the blind. When Jesus stepped in there and he talked about it's bringing sight to the blind, it's loosing those in bondage. It means bringing the power and the intents of God to people's everyday lives. That's what the kingdom is about. It's not about just identifying with the ideal and the principles of what Jesus was teaching, but it was, it was involving living those out and actually spreading that shalom, living in that space. Here's what I'm saying, brothers and sisters. Living out the life of a wounded healer, once you get that identity and you're developing that character, living out the life of a wounded healer means to actualize, to bring forth, to bring into reality that self-giving spirit for the wholeness of other people that are around us. It's about putting into practice what we've been working with God to develop that character on. It's different from just doing some kind of good deed and forgetting about it, like maybe giving somebody on the street a dollar, or maybe passing somebody that looks really sad and just saying, well, God bless you, I'll pray for you. It's more than that. It's actually having a long-standing willingness and openness to demonstrate in truth and in action, not just in word and speech, but in truth and action, the love of Christ to other people, even from a point of being wounded yourself, even when you're in that position of being hurt. I want to kind of give an example of what this wounded healer actually looks like. This is a variation, a type of what this may look like. I want to give a biblical example. Um, If you have your Bibles, you turn with me to Mark 12. It's going to be a familiar story. Some of you you people will know it, some might not. But this is a story 
that I think is very powerful. And I want to kind of draw something out of it. Starting at Mark 12. I'm going to go from verses 41 through 44. Mark 12, verses 41 through 44. He, this is meaning Jesus, he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the crowd putting money into the treasury. Many rich people put in large sums. Excuse me. A poor widow came and put in two copper coins, which are worth a penny. Then he called his disciples and said to them, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of those who are contributing to the treasury. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance, but out of her poverty, she's put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Now I want to kind of give some information here. Contributing to the temple treasury is understood to be an almsgiving. You know, to the Jewish people, this is one of the pillars of what it means to be with God is, is to give alms, to give those things to help other people. And what this means, this is a good chance. This woman wasn't just necessarily just doing a religious act, but she was contributing to something that theoretically was supposed to be for the common good. Now, at times the, the, temple, the, the temple activity was corrupt, but in principle, what you gave to the temple, some of that money was supposed to be going for the common good. Now, check this out. Being in poverty, I don't know about you, but I think being in poverty is a form of being wounded. <laughs> that's, a, that's a form of being weak. And out of her lack, out of her weakness, out of her poverty, she was willing to give all that she had. Out of her little, she was willing to share. Out of her own wounded place, she was willing to give heartfelt to others. And look at what Jesus said about that. Look at how Jesus lauded that, the faith, lauded the intention, lauded what she did. I'd like to give another story just picture this. Picture you have a couple, a married couple, and, and they have two kids, and they're living in an apartment. They're living in a two-bedroom apartment, and they're, they're, they're kind of getting by. It's not like they're destitute. They're kind of getting by. They have just a little dis discretionary income to go on. And then a friend of the family loses his job, and he, he really can't make his bill payments, and so he ends up having to, he, having to get evicted. And so he has nowhere to go. He's tried everything else and stuff like that. And so he asked the, the married couple, they just need some time on their feet. Can they stay with them? And so the married couple, the first married couple that has this two-bedroom apartment, they pray. And they decide to bring this man in with his family, his wife, and his two children. And so you know you have two families living in a two-bedroom apartment. And they're sharing food and they're sharing resources. And the man is helping the other man to get a job. This is how it practically looks. This is a variation of how, how it can practically look to be a wounded healer. Yes, he might have wanted, that family might have wanted to save that money maybe for a trip or something like that, but they decided this family is in a worse shape than we are, and we have the ability to actually minister to them from where they are. A wounded healer willing to minister out of their relative lack. This, my people, this is why attitude and character formation are so important. This works against our culture. This works against our own sense of self-preservation. This works against everything that we declare reasonable. Well, you know, we got to get for ourselves. You know, it's all, you know, it's, we got to go out. We got to look out for number one. We got to make sure we're taken care of. It goes against everything that tells us it's all about us. Everything in our culture that tells us think about self. Think about self. Be reasonable. Be reasonable. 
And this is why getting real, getting very concrete with loving as God loves is important too. There's so many, if you just look around, there's so many concrete needs in the people around us, maybe in our family, in our covenant groups, in our church, in our, in our neighborhood. There's so many concrete needs in our church. And if we don't watch it, that self-deception that I talked about earlier will make us think that because we're saying, well, be warned, be fed, God bless you. Yes, I'll pray for you. But like we're saying all that, that we're actually doing all that we can to give this person the life of the world that they need. Now, before I get into the practical aspects, because I want to get into that pretty soon here, before I get into the practical aspects, I want to remind us of some crucial things. First of all, let's remember this whole thing. Everything I'm speaking about right now is supposed to flow out of the relationship that you have with God. Being open to, for God to fill you, to speak to you, to use you for the kingdom. This is not to flow out of our insecurities. This is not to flow out of our, well, this is the right thing to do. It's to really flow out of our sense of awareness to God, to be open to God speaking to us about this sister over here, this brother over here that really might need our help that maybe we overlooked. Being open to that and being obedient to what God might be calling us to do. All of this is to flow out of our relationship with God. And the second thing I want us to remind us of is we have to have sufficiently bound wounds. We cannot help others if we are not in a situation to help ourselves. I believe that this, this, family, this, this, this family living in this two-bedroom apartment, they were able to make it. They didn't put themselves such that what good would it have been if both of them would have gotten evicted? So they didn't put themselves in a situation where both families would get evicted, but they were willing to use their limited situation to benefit somebody else. They made sure that their wounds were sufficiently bound. What we're aiming for, y'all, what we're aiming for is to be a people of wounded healers that really, out of our relationship with God, really hear God and really develop that Christ-like character so that all that we do for others, when we really look around, everything we do is with that character. Everything we do is with God in mind. God, can you use me in this situation? God, what would you like me to do in that situation? Being led by the Spirit, being led by that Christ-like character. That's what this whole thing is about. So now I want to talk about some of the areas or arenas of practicality in which our character that we've been developing, the identity that we form and the character that we're developing, how that can express itself. And the first thing, aspect we're going to talk about is our resources. <clears throat> our resources. I've spoke before right now about the... Um, family that had the two-bedroom apartment, sharing their food, sharing their life, sharing their spaces. Maybe it's, maybe it's possible that out of our love for God, God might be calling us to give some of our food. We have something like the food connection where we give food to families that need it. Maybe God is calling us to do that. Maybe we have a person in our covenant group that just can't, they, they try, but they just can't make it, and they just need a little food to help their family. Or maybe it's a neighbor or something like that. Maybe God is calling some of us to open our homes, open our homes to people that are just getting by, or maybe that troubled child that really just needs that support, and God's been kind of nudging on you about that. Maybe that's what God is asking us to do as far as our resources, opening our homes. Maybe it's about job opportunities. Some of us here might own businesses. Some of us here might be in positions where we can actually help people to get jobs that they need to get that life of the world. Maybe those are things we can do. And the thing is, are we open to that? Are we open to being wounded healers with that? 
It's much easier for us to say, you know, well, God, you know, these grocery bills are so high and I'm, I'm barely making it now and I got to get the kids some sugar puffs. What if God tells you, what if God leads you to give some of that food to somebody that you know doesn't have any food? Are, you willing to do, are we willing to do that? Are we willing to really let God use us in that way? Maybe only have half of the stuff or three-fourths of the stuff that we're used to that we might help somebody else. Our resources, the daily stuff of life, this is part of that. The daily stuff of life to help people get by. The second thing, and I wanna, I'm doing this with trepidation. The second thing, the second arena in which that we can actually display this wounded healer character is with our money. Oh, Lord. Oh, man. Why do you have to talk about money? <laughs> See, I felt nervous about this at first, but here's the thing. We don't need to shy away from this. I am well aware that with different things that go on with people and certain ministries and certain organizations, stuff like that, we all have buzzers about that. For the longest time, let me just be honest, for the longest time, it was really hard for me to give money to any churches or to give money to any humanitarian aid because I had seen a little bit too much. Misuse and misappropriation of funds and stuff like that so I can understand that those buzzers are understandable. But let's also not forget something else. Money meets needs. Money helps people get their lights turned on. Money helps people keep their water running. Money helps people get food. See, in, in this passage we're talking about here, he's talking about the life of the world. Some of what the author is talking about is finances, is money. What if, what if God is speaking to me or anybody else and we have that trip that we've been planning for months and we've saved up for it and we wanted it because we, you know, we, we have just enough, we're getting by, but man, we try to save that money. And what if God speaks to me and say, you know that trip to Miami you want to take next year? I want you to give that money to this sister right here because she doesn't have any money and she needs this operation. Well, Lord, I, I mean, I, I'm doing this work in the ministry and I'm, I'm doing all this stuff like that. Don't I deserve a break? Hey, hey, I understand all that. But are you willing to give that up for your sister over here in need? Are you willing to do that? Are you healthy? Yeah. Well, well, well are you willing to give up this thing that you'd like to have for her? And here's the thing. It's not about giving to a particular person. It's not about giving to a particular ministry. You let God deal with you on that. But are we willing to let God do that multiplication like with the fishes and the loaves? Are we really going to believe God that if God says, hey, I need you to give so much of your money to this place that we're going to believe God that God is going to honor that and take care of our needs? Are we going to be that wounded healer in that area? Very practical, very necessary. A third thing, a third aspect or area is our hands. One of the things that we feel like we don't have enough, we don't have enough time because we have to work, we have to do all these different things. But there's a lot of people out here, there's the people in our, in our families, people in our covenant groups, people in our church that can really be helped by the skills that we have. There are, I, be, I believe there are tons of gifts here. You might know how to fix a house. You might know how to, to, to fix and do plumbing and stuff like that. Maybe God is calling you to just take out a little of your time that maybe you'd rather do something else and go over to that neighbor's house who continuously has that leaky faucet or continually has that problem with the bathroom. 
Well, Lord, I, I work a 40-hour week. I, I, I understand that. But out of, the, out of the, the brief time that you have that you don't want to do anything, can you share it with your brother or sister over here in need? Maybe you know how to fix that car to get that brother or sister to work so they can make that money to give themselves that life of the world. Maybe you can do that. Maybe God is calling you to do that. Or maybe you know life skills that people in your sphere of influence or maybe not in your sphere of influence can make all the difference in their lives. Reading, writing, typing, common communication skills. Maybe you have the ability to give that to your brother and sister so they can have the life of the world. Well, Lord, you know, I, I mean, I work and stuff like that. Why? I, I want to watch American Idol. Can I watch American Idol? Are we willing to give up American Idol if we see a brother or sister in need of our talents and services? Are we willing to do that? Are we open to God to let God do that? Very practical stuff. And the last thing is our safe spaces. Our safe spaces. What I mean by that is our hearts and ourselves. Are we willing to share our pain, share the things that maybe we have gone through, share the things that God has healed us from so that we can heal other people? Because that's where it really gets hard. Is when you realize that you could, you know, you could put on that front and you could put on that facade and stuff like that, but maybe God is calling you out of your woundedness to speak to somebody else. Well, Lord, you know, I don't want people to think all kinds of ways about me. You never know how God might use your testimony, use your pain to heal somebody else so that they can make it another day. See, it's not just, that's why, that's why I'm saying the life of the world, the stuff of the world. We're not just talking about physical resources. We're talking about emotional resources. Maybe some of you know what I'm talking about, but sometimes you can feel so beat down by the world, you don't even want to get up to go to work. You don't even want to get up to try to cook breakfast because you're so emotionally beat down. There's emotional resources there. And maybe God is calling some of us to work to help give people in our covenant groups or give people in our spheres of influence or give people in this church some of that emotional resource so they can make it another day, so they can make it another week. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to open ourselves up to really get real with this thing? Not just to have it in the head, okay, yeah, bless you. Uh, bro, sister, I see you in pain, bless you. But if I really do have maybe that extra five minutes or that extra ten minutes for me to actually go over and say, sister, I want to pray with you, I want to be with you at this time. I want to get a snow cone, but it's about what God wants to do at this time. Are we willing to do that? Again, we cannot let ourselves fall into the deceit that thinking about these things and listening to the sermons and all that kind of stuff like that is it. It's not it. It's good. It's wonderful that you want to choose the identity. It's wonderful that we want to choose the character and live that out. But we have to think practically. We've got to think practically. Now, I want to, I want to say these are the four areas again. The resources, our money, our hands, and our safe spaces. Are we willing to live that out. I would suggest, and, and it's, it's a hard word, but it's like if we are not willing to look around and let God show us some of the people that we can meet their needs and we refuse to meet those needs, the author says, how can we say that the love of God exists in us? That's a hard word, but it's a real word. I didn't write it. We have to think about that. Now, 
These are areas that we can begin to work on right now, depending on where we're at. Now, I know some of y'all may think, you know, well, hey, my character isn't developed enough. I'm just telling you right now. I mean, you mentioned last time about mixed motives. I know my, my motives are maybe my 1% Christ and 90% me, so I, I guess I'm disqualified. Let me suggest to you that doing some of these things incrementally can help you develop that character. Let's suppose that I decide... I really want to have an appreciation for music. I really want to have appreciation for people that play the piano and piano music. But I decide, okay, I'm going to spend this time really looking at the piano and looking at the music and listening to the music and stuff like that. And I'm going to wait until I develop a full appreciation for the piano before I even try to play it. I'm telling you right now, I would never play it. Because there's always more that you could get. There's always more of that appreciation that you could get, and you would never get started. But what if I say I have a direction, I want to grow in my appreciation of music, but I start playing chopsticks. That's chopsticks, right? And I start playing that. And then I start going into more complicated pieces. But as I'm doing that, I'm growing and I'm learning more about it, and I'm, I'm appreciating it as I go along. It's the same way with what I'm talking about here. Maybe God is calling you to go over to that neighbor's house and fixing, fixing those pipes and different things like that. And at first, it really seems like a drudgery, but you say, you know what? I'm doing this with the intent of going with that character. And soon, it's weird to you, but you know, it used to be a drudgery, but now you actually like doing it. Or spending time with that young person that's, that, that, that's hard-headed and, and curses a lot and stuff like that. At first, you, just, you almost couldn't stand to go over there, but now you almost want to say hallelujah when you get in their presence. Something's changed. And that's because through your actions and through your steadiness of purpose and through your yielding to God, God has developed your character through that action. So that's why on these things we can start right now. As we, as, we, as we ask God where we're at right now and getting those appropriate ways to start off, we can make those initial steps, practical steps, that can help us develop that character. Some of you here might be thinking, well, you know, hey, this is cool, but charity starts at home. You know, you ain't supposed to be going out everywhere else and you can't even do it at home. And I would agree, to, I would agree with that to a certain extent. You have to look at your, your spheres of influence and look at your nearest sphere, which is your family, and really start there. I can understand that. But it doesn't have to stay there. There's something wrong when, remember how we say um, last time, I'm going back to that last sermon, but thinking about the others, there might be something wrong when the only people that you can love, the only people that you can express true God-like love to is your family. There might be something wrong. Actually, it should span out throughout your family. Once you decide to be with Christ, once you decide to make Christ your Lord and your Savior, guess what? You're in a new family. You are in the family of God. That's what the, the author of 1 John is talking about, the brothers and sisters, loving the brothers and sisters, the brothers and sisters loving one another. I remember this statement. It's in one of the Gospels where Jesus is talking. His, his, her, his mothers and brothers come, and they say, yo, your mothers and brothers over there. And Jesus is like, who are my mother and my brothers? These. These are my brothers. The people that do the will of God, those are my mothers and brothers. Now, was he denigrating his, 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 his mother and his brothers? No, but he was saying, look, there's a family here. And these are the people, these are my siblings, just as much as those are my siblings. When we get into the family of God, we should be so much of a body that what happens to me, you care about. It, I'm your family. You're my family. We're family. 
We belong to one another as, as, the, as the body analogy. I need you, you need me. To really accomplish what God has said, not only for the church at large, but for this particular body. We are the family of God. So I would agree that these things need to start at home, but they need to expand out to the complete family. And that's the family of God, and that's the family of humanity that we're supposed to serve. So we started out this whole thing with um, 1 John. And I want to go back there because 1 John starts with this. First, this is the message we've heard from the beginning that we should love one another. We must not be like Cain, who was from the evil one and murdered his brother. We must not be like Cain. And so I thought about it, and so I went back to that, that story in Genesis for us not to be like Cain. And one of the things, right after Cain murders Abel, right after Cain murders Abel, he, you know, and God comes looking for him, he says, hey, am I my brother's keeper? Why, why are you asking me? I ain't responsible for him. Why you, am I my brother's keeper? And so that was his attitude. That's what he said. And so as I thought about that phrase, I don't necessarily think that we're each other's keepers, so I'd like to rephrase it. I don't want to be like Cain, so let me ask the question this way. Do I have a responsibility for my brother or sister in Christ? Do I have a responsibility to other members of the body of Christ to make sure that they are trying to live in that shalom, to make sure they're trying to live in health, to make sure that they are actually having the stuff of life that they need to make it? Am I responsible for my brother and sister? And the answer is yes. The implied answer that Cain wanted was no. The answer to my question, I believe that God is telling me, is yes. And the question is posed to you. Are you responsible for your brother and sister in Christ, in your family, in your covenant groups, in this church, in your neighborhood? Are you responsible for your brother and sister? And I believe that God is saying yes. Are we responsible for one another as people of God, as people who truly want to love like Christ loved us? Are we responsible for one another? Are we responsible for making sure that everyone here has the stuff of life they need to make it? and become more of a self before God. Are we responsible for that? Yes, we are. I believe that 1 John 3, and I'm going to wrap it up with this, I believe that 1 John 3.18 is not as much a directive as it is a challenge. It's a challenge to us, and I believe it's a challenge to us in our own time as well as the author's time. And I want to leave with this, and I want us to meditate on this. Let's act like he's really speaking to us. Little children... Let us love, not in word or speech, but in truth and action. Little children, let us, not, let us love, not in word or speech, but in truth and action. Let's stand to our feet. I really want to pray that this word really soaks in our heart, that it really soaks in our spirit, because here's the thing. We can have that love. We can have that joy that we were singing about. We can have all that stuff. And, but if we don't express it to one another, if we don't express it to the church at large, Satan wins. Do you hear me? If we don't express it in practical ways, Satan takes that ground. We're supposed to be taking ground. We're supposed to be advancing the kingdom of God against the kingdom of darkness. This is how we do it in those realms of practicality. So I pray, I'm going to pray that God really opens our eyes 
to our situations, to our life circumstances, and that we're open to really minister, that we're open to be those ministers we're called to be, that we're open to really make changes in the lives of people, to give them the life of the world that they need to get. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this time. I thank you so much for this word. Father, I... I just get the feeling that you want me, that you just want us. You just want us to be real. You just want us to, to actually live out and actualize that love, that we love as Christ loved us and really show that love in ways that people can receive and be helped from. Father, I pray that you would just, by your spirit, give us eyes. That scripture said that if you see a brother or sister, give us eyes to see, Lord God. Maybe we don't see that brother or sister that's right near to us. Give us those eyes to see those brothers and sisters, Lord. And then develop our characters as we move out, as we stretch out on faith to work that out, Lord God, to to bring them that life, bring them the life of the world that they need. Father, I pray that you would just strengthen us against Satan's darts, Lord God, against those lies that keep permeating, at least against those, those, those lying methods, Lord God. Strengthen our minds that we might be focused on you and focused on your kingdom. Bless this congregation, Father. Unify us in spirit. Unify us in spirit that we might spread out and give this place, give this neighborhood, give this city something they have never seen before, Lord. Father, I pray traveling mercies upon each and every person, Lord God. I pray that as we depart this place, that we, first of all, do not depart your presence, and we do not depart the presence of each other in spirit, Lord God. I pray that you just bless each and every family represented here, Lord God, and just let this seed bear fruit, not for my glory, not for this church's glory, but for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.